Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, can I help you find something? Librarians specialize in helping you find what you were looking for, and sometimes what you didn't know you were looking for. Thank you for joining me as I talk to my guests about all things library, including the books inside them. I'm Julie Chavez, and this is Ask a Librarian. Fiona Davis is the New York Times best-selling author of six historical fiction novels set in iconic New York City buildings, including The Magnolia Palace, The Dollhouse, The Address, and The Lions of Fifth Avenue, which was a Good Morning America book club pick. Her novels have been chosen as One Book, One Community Reads, and her articles have appeared in publications like The Wall Street Journal and, oh, The Oprah Magazine. She first came to New York as an actress, but Fiona fell in love with writing after getting a master's degree at Columbia Journalism School. Her books have been translated into over a dozen languages, and she's based in New York City. Before we get to my conversation with Fiona, I'm going to answer the Ask a Librarian question of the week, which comes from Emily M. Emily needs a book or series for her daughter in first grade who loves nature and science. Well, Emily, I'm so glad you asked because it turns out I love to recommend books. <laughs> and the first series I'd like to recommend to you is Magnificent Makers. There are five books in this series currently, and the fifth one just came out February 2nd. It's a series about three friends who are all about science. The first is How to Test a Friendship, and number three, which is called The Great Germ Hunt, feels especially timely for these days in which we live. <laughs> Let me give you a friendly parent-to-parent heads up. There are two science experiments in each book. The authors assure that the supplies are easy to source, and I have no reason to doubt their truth-telling on this. But as someone who is so uptight that her children never got to make slime in her house because she just couldn't handle it, I felt it necessary to give you advance notice. Next up is Cece Loves Science. This is a brightly illustrated series that also includes stories about Vivi and Libby, who, it turns out, also love science. They have picture books and early readers, and that's a good opportunity to help kids graduate from one form to another, from being read to, to reading a little bit more independently. Another series that also has picture books and early readers is The Questionnaires. You may have seen these books, and I believe there's a show. Ada Twist Scientist is one of the titles. Sophia Valdez, Future Prez. These are really thoughtful books. Aaron Slater Illustrator came out in November, and it features a dyslexic-friendly font. The characters are great, the illustrations are sharp and clever, and the rhyming is really well done. And as someone who has read some books where the rhyming is a bit of a tragedy, I can tell you this is hard to get right. The illustrator for this series, David Roberts, 
also just illustrated a book that was written by Alice McGinty. It's called Bathe the Cat. And I have to tell you that the second and third graders that I read this to a couple weeks ago cracked up at this read aloud. They were laughing and I love hearing the kids laugh. So though it's not really nature or science, you might want to check that one out as well. Zoe's Rescue Zoo is another series. Zoe is the main character, and she can speak to animals, though this is a secret. But her mom is a veterinarian. They rescue homeless animals that are brought back to their house by their great uncle, Horace. The last series that I'll recommend is the Astronaut Girl series, all about the solar system and space. And my reasons for recommending this one are both personal and professional, because Mondo once not too long ago asked me what was closer, the sun or the moon, and I said the sun. So I'm thinking that perhaps, Emily, I can read this along with your child and I too can learn about the solar system. Friends, if you have a question for me, either a recommendation or a question about the library, please submit it at my website, juliewriteswords slash podcast. And without any further ado or talk of the solar system, which always sort of stresses me out too, here is my conversation with Fiona. Fiona, thanks so much for being here today. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. I am so looking forward to talking about well, really all of your books, because I'm sort of a super fan. Although recently I did discover that I have not yet read Chelsea Girls, which I feel like is a big omission on my part. So I apologize in advance. I will get <laughs> <No>. right on it. <laughs> I'm very impressed. I'm very, you know, five out of six is pretty good. Okay. Well, good. I mean, that's a, that's a B, right? I'll, <laughs> percentages, math is hard. So yes, I'll give myself a B plus. Okay, perfect. But I wanted to talk to you about... Lions of Fifth Avenue. So I really enjoyed reading that one, of course, since it's centered in a library. And I know all of your books are centered on New York buildings. Is that something you started out with in your vision or did that just happen naturally for you? Yeah, no, it was not. Uh, it was not the way I thought of it. My first book was set at the Barbizon Hotel for Women. And that really grew out of an idea for a nonfiction article that I wanted to write. But I ended up making it into a book. And as that book was kind of in the pipeline for publication, I just naturally started looking around at other buildings mm -hmm. um, that have changed over time in New York. And of course, here, there's so many of them. And I walked by the Dakota one day and thought, oh, that would be fun. And basically, I want to snoop inside. It would be a great excuse to get inside. Absolutely. And yeah. So that's where it came from. And then I realized, oh, what if I created this like landmark series, which would satisfy my need to, you know, get into old buildings and learn about the history as well as create books. So it, it really happened very organically. That's so fascinating to hear about. And you're right. So you've lived in New York your whole life? No, ever since college. So about 35 years. Okay. Feels like my whole life. <laughs> that, yeah, I'd say 35 counts. So how did you land on the New York Public Library? Yeah. You know, each book has come about in its own way. And the New York Public Library came from readers during author talks saying to me, hey, you should set a book at the New York Public Library. And after a while, I just thought, okay, you know, why don't I look into it? I didn't think it would work because a library is, is you know, it, it doesn't change over time. It's the same thing it was in 1911 when it opened as to what it is now with, of course, some differences. Sure. But then I learned in my research that when it was built, they included this seven-room apartment for the superintendent and his family to live in. 
And the minute I learned that, I thought, all right, that's that's a great setting for a book, a family living in a library. I'll play with that. Absolutely. And I love the story that you created. It was really well done. I think this was, well, I can't really compare them. It's like choosing my favorite child, but I loved <laughs> Lions of Fifth Avenue, obviously in the library. So when you were going through like I was reading about some of the details in the periodicals room that you had mentioned, the dolphins that were carved. Did you tour the library or did you read about it and then go look? How did you come upon those pieces? It was a little bit kind of piecemeal. I, I did initially ask for a backs, for a behind the scenes tour. Okay. And they were very kind and gave me one. So I got to see where the apartment was located. It's offices and storage now, but I could see what it was like and what was inside, which really influenced the plot in many ways. And and so that was really exciting. And then it was just, you know, reading books about the library. And of course, there's so many about the construction and the architecture. And so just pulling from things that I that I read and incorporating that into the story so that the plot really takes precedence. But then you have these fun details along the way. Yes. You do an excellent job of that because the buildings are the perfect setting, but they're never overwhelming. And I find your historical fiction to be so edifying. I walk away from it and I want to know more about the setting and more about the building. And I think it just does, it's a perfect balance. Your plot does take precedence, but I love reading them because then I feel a little bit smarter when I finish, to be honest, (laughs) which is a win for me. (laughs) Yeah, no, I love that. You know, for me, if if I can send readers down rabbit holes as to what, you know, what's fact, what's fiction and find out about the real family that lived there, because of course mine is fictional and learn more about the library. It can only be more fun for everybody. Absolutely. I really liked the details you included too, about the library's past. When you mentioned the layers of history, that was the line you used, which I loved and that it was originally a graveyard for the poor That was fascinating. So did you just come upon that in your research when you were reading these other books about the library? Exactly. And the the history of the construction talked about how it was a kind of a, you know, a graveyard for, for paupers. And then that was created into a reservoir to supply the drinking water to the city of New York. And then the library was placed on top of that, including some of the stones, the granite from the original reservoir that are in the foundation of the library. So yeah, it is. It's literal layers. That is so incredible to think about, especially an edifice or a building like the New York Public Library. I don't ever picture it not being there. So the idea that it was once a lake is really surprising to me. Yeah. And not only a lake, it was this lake with 50 foot high walls and a promenade on top that you could walk around. <laughs> okay. <laughs> photos so. of it. If you, you can see them online. The photo, it's called the Croton Reservoir. And it was really incredible. It was quite a, quite a structure. Wow. And I always wonder about then the decline of those things, right? How did you go from point A to point B? So again, I will be down a rabbit hole about all of that. Now I know right. what I'm doing for the rest of the day. This is perfect. Right. Do you, are you a library person? Do you like going to libraries? Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, we always did when I was a kid, we moved around a lot. And so we'd always go to whatever library in whatever town we were living in once a week and get books. It's a, we were a big family of readers. And so, yeah, to me that, that level of excitement when you walk in a library is still with me today as it was when I was eight years old. And of course here in New York, we have some wonderful ones. I've done a lot of writing at the 
Performing Arts Library at Lincoln Center, okay. um, which is a great place kind of near me on the Upper West Side. And then at the New York Public Library, they have something called the Allen Room, which is a room for authors with book contracts. And you get a desk and you get a bookshelf. And if you need books, they're brought right to your bookshelf for you. It's really this wonderful little secret. So I wrote this book about the library while I was in the library, which was even cooler. That is like a dream come true. I, that is the neatest detail. I had no idea such a thing existed. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So Reservoir Research, that's happening this afternoon and booking a flight to New York. There you go. Gosh, I have a lot to do. (laughs) (laughs) Were there any interesting facts that you uncovered in your research that you didn't include in the book? I'm sure there were a ton, but are there any that stand out that you, that stayed with you? Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Yeah, you know, I wish I could have included more. There's a genealogy room. That would have been fun to incorporate. There's a map room. Oh wow! Which would have has all these old atlases and things. So there are so many areas of the library that I just couldn't incorporate because you know I only had so many pages to fill. So yeah, you know you could do a deep dive in in that building and come up with surprises every day. Yeah, I can imagine so well. And I love the concept of living in the library too. It reminds me of Mrs. Basil E. Frankweiler and some of those books from my childhood that I wished I could be trapped in a store, right? Yes, yes. Mannequin also. (laughs) And the funny thing is about the family that lived there, the real family, it was a husband and wife and their three kids. The daughter was born in the library. So this is in around the 1910s. The son used to raise pigeons on the roof of the library. And the kids used to play baseball using books as bases in the reading room until they got caught. And these were all things that were in this New York Times article about the retirement of the super, which is where I found that portion of the story. Okay. I love those details. And I noticed that in your acknowledgments, you mentioned Kristen O'Donnell Tubb, who wrote The Story Collector. And I'm also going to be speaking to her because when I started looking for guests for the podcast, it was where are the books about libraries? So Oh, of course. She was so helpful. I read her book and turned to her early on. And she was so helpful with providing me with, you know, what she knew about the library and her resources. And and it was just a huge help. And her book is just wonderful. I think she captured it beautifully. It's so delightful. I enjoy that one. And I'm excited to share it with our kids at the library because they just, we just acquired it. So I can't wait. But I I love, it's so meta, so hip, right? (laughs) Reading about a library and a library with a librarian, it's just, 
it checks all the boxes. It really does. There are, I'm sorry, I wanted to ask you about handwritten materials. Reading your book made me think about the positioning of the handwritten materials, their importance, what they tell us, and also their lack. Especially, I don't handwrite a lot for my writing. Do you think we're losing something with that? You know, it's such a good question. And and that's one of the examples I give in the book of a Walt Whitman poem that he wrote on a piece of paper and scribbled things out. And you could see his thought processes as he created this poem. And, you know, I talked to a librarian who, who handles rare objects like that. And she said, yeah, it's amazing. You can see places where he might've scratched, you know, something in frustration or stain from a coffee mug that he yes. didn't realize this would be worth thousands of dollars one day. And it's true. I mean, I write on a computer as well. And I think you're, you're with someone who's a master like Walt Whitman or Nabokov, you can understand how they came to their, their final product. And I think that's so insightful and valuable for researchers and scholars. And I agree. We don't have that. I know Jennifer Egan writes by hand, like okay. 10 different drafts. <laughs> that makes my hand hurt just thinking about it. I know. When I, I heard that, I was so impressed. But, you know, for me, the ease of a computer and just, I would hate for someone to see the first draft of my book. It, it's just so skeletal and awful. And so maybe it's better. I don't know. That is a good point that I hadn't <laughs> thought about because here I was waxing poetic about Whitman but yes, I don't have the same feelings about my own first draft. Indeed. I don't think any of us do. No. <laughs> he probably doesn't either. He's probably horrified. <laughs> Who saved that? <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Hindsight really changes all of those things, doesn't it? <laughs> well, I would like to talk a little bit about the Magnolia Palace, if it's okay with you. Of course. Because now I've turned from the library to the Frick Collection, I was fascinated by that. So will you tell me how you came up with the idea to go that direction? Were you walking by again? I feel like all of your stories just start like, oh, I was walking by. (laughs) You know, that one had been in the back of my mind. And it's a building that if you ask any New Yorker what their favorite museum is, they'll say the Frick. And it's not like the other museums on Fifth Avenue, like the Met or the Guggenheim, where there are these huge buildings. The Frick was a residence before it became a museum. And so it's really like this, you feel like you're stepping back in time because you have the rugs and the furnishings and then the marvelous art collection, which is on all the walls. And it really feels like the Frick family just went out to a dinner party and they'll be back at any moment. And so because of that, it's this magical place. And I realized it would work really well because it was a residence and then a museum. So I could compare and contrast the inhabitants and the building itself. Rolling back a little bit, when you come up with your fictional stories, so for example, in so in Magnolia Palace, I feel like you do an, a really masterful job of including details about things that were happening during the time that may have been incorrect or a problem, but it's never too, it's never a distraction. It's always an addition. It really lends both, I think, a gravitas in some ways to what's happening, but also again, with that edification, that's why I feel that way where I think, oh, I never considered that. So in lines of Fifth Avenue, when you were talking about the mortality of immigrant babies, Mm -hmm. and then 
with the Frick, seeing a little bit of the racial tension that was happening in the 60s, do you choose those details? How do you how do you decide what to include from the milieu of the age about what you're writing? Usually, that's such a good question. And it usually comes from the research. For example, with the Alliance of Fifth Avenue, um, learning about women's rights and the Heterodoxy Club, which was this downtown village club for women only, where they could debate the issues of the day. And I was just so surprised at you know that these women were getting together and talking about birth control and the right to vote and even free love. Yes. And so I love anchoring it in some kind of current issue of the day, just so we can learn not only about the building and the people who are around it, but just the larger world and the city and how the city has changed over time or how it hasn't. And so setting something in the 60s, and I was writing this during 2020 when, of course, America was in a lot of turmoil. Yes. And I just thought it would be interesting to bring in the perspective of Joshua is a, a Black intern who wants to be a curator. And he kind of provides the larger context for what's on the Frick Walls, which is a very Eurocentric art collection, and what's missing from art history, which is more diverse perspectives. And so my hope was by introducing him, we could just kind of learn about the bigger picture and possibly open our eyes to, you know, the forgotten Black artists who aren't on the walls. Yes, I think that's an excellent point. I do appreciate that in your books and the way that you weave that in, especially because they're stories about an age and we naturally know the pieces of the stories that are most dominant. And so to make a conscious effort to bring some of that up that hasn't been in every book or every history article that we've read, I I really appreciate seeing that. I think you do a really nice job of that. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So can I ask what you're working on next? I'm mostly just curious. Sure. What am I going to buy next? <laughs> well, there, I started working on the idea of setting a book at Carnegie Hall. And at that point, I was asked to write a short story for Amazon, which will be up this summer. It's a, a combination. It's an anthology of historical fiction writers writing short short stories. Oh, fantastic. Um, yeah, it's with um, Plimpton and Amazon. And I'm very excited for that. So that's a book set at Carnegie Hall in the 50s. And then the next book, I, I was kind of wondering what I should do. And I got an email through my website from a woman in Florida who said she was a former Rockette. She was in her 80s. And if I wanted to know about the secrets of Radio City, I should call her. And you bet I did. <laughs> and we had this wonderful conversation and she's, she's helped provide me with all of this archival material. And since then, I've been interviewing dozens of Rockettes and I'm far down the rabbit hole of Radio City, which has been really fun. I cannot wait. <laughs> I have dreams of being a Rockette. Oh, me too. I know. Right? I, I, I know. I'm just living vicariously through my characters as if I could kick that high. One hundred percent, without having to go to the emergency room. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That is. Oh, what a fun topic! I can't wait to read about that. That's really the only reason I watched the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade is for the Rockets. Yes. yes. Yeah. There's something. Oh. They're just timeless and interesting. Yes. And, you know, it's such a. It, it, you need such a high level of technique to be able to do it, and yet you have to fit in to the group. It's not about being an individual. And so it, the, the theme of the book really plays on that. Oh, I bet. Oh, so much to mine there. Oh, I love it. Well, I'll, that's as close as I'm going to get to being a Rockette. So <laughs> a 
That's okay. (laughs) That leads to my other random question, which is what's something that you are not good at that you wish you were? And the reason it leads into that is that mine is being a backup dancer. Um, I would really love to be out there on stage, like behind J-Lo, but I just, or as a rockette, I mean, I'll take either, but I'm not good at it. So I should say yet. Maybe yeah. I'll get good later. Yeah. I don't so. think the chances are good, but <laughs> I tell the kids, you have to say yet. I'm not good yet. But what's <laughs> something that you're not great at that you wish you were? I would love to have been, to be a backup singer. I, you know, to be able to sing, I can't sing at all, but to be able to do that, it would be incredible. That would be fun. That would be a fun one. I've always thought that I would enjoy backup singing as well as the backup. I mean, I yeah, think it's funny that we both want to be backups. Yeah, right, right. right. <laughs> I think that's why we're writers, though. I, I mean, I think, uh, personally, I prefer to be behind the scenes most of the time. Yes. Um, kind of the engineer of what's going on, but not necessarily the face of it. So, yeah. So I think that's maybe that most writers want to be backups. <laughs> yes. Maybe I'm going to poll. We're going to yeah. work on this. It's going to be a new a new psychological question. We're going to Freud it. It's going to be great. <laughs> Well, this has been so great to talk to you about the book, and I think you did a marvelous job capturing the library. What are you reading now? Ooh, good question. I am just finishing up The Maid by Nita Prose, which is a big hit. I think it just hit the New York Times list, and it's just a great, fun read from a a very atypical point of view, Mm -hmm. and she she really nails it. And a closed-door murder mystery, there's nothing better. Oh, wow. I have not... I don't think I have that one on my list, but I had to get rid of my list for a while because it was starting to create stress because I had just endless books on it. I know. I know. We're, we're trying to cut back, but it's tough. I know. But as far as addictions go, I'll take it. Yeah, exactly. It could be worse. Well, Fiona, thanks so much for being with me today and talking to me about this. I so appreciate your time and your perspective, and it really has been a gift to chat with you because I'm a big admirer of your work. Oh, thank you so much. And just great questions. I really appreciate it. And thank you for everything you do at the library. And it is very, very much appreciated. Oh, I'm happy to hear it. I'm happy to do it. I've been out with uh, COVID protocol as we all have, right? And it reminds me how much I miss being with the kids because they definitely put a lot of life in our library. So I'll be ready to go back. Very soon, hopefully. (laughs) Yes, yes. Fingers crossed. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Ask a Librarian. As always, it's my joy to share and learn with you. You can follow me on Instagram at juliewritesWords, or you can go to my website, juliewritesWords.com. There you'll find the show notes, including all the books mentioned in the episode. See you in the stacks next week. And until then, friends... Never go anywhere without a book. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.